we have a brother going to come up and share a sweet word with us. Um, I'll just welcome him. Let's welcome Alfredo. Come on up, brother. Yeah. Let's welcome Alfredo. Woo! Sorry. Thank you, Josh. We ha- I'm blessed to be up here. If you don't know who I am, I am Alfredo. And uh, Jesus Christ has changed my life forever. And I'm thankful. That's about it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm playing. That's all it takes, though. Come on now. All right, I'm going to be in Acts 17 if you all want to join me there. I'm going to be looking at the middle of the chapter, starting at verse 16. Just to set it up for you guys, basically Paul has been working in his ministry. He's already gone and spoken with the Thessalonians. He's gone and spoken with the Bereans. And so now he's with Paul and he's waiting for Paul and Silas. And now we pick up in Athens. The Spirit has led him there to Athens. So, some of you guys might know it's the Sermon on Mars Hill. Now, I cannot do justification to a a passage like the Sermon on Mars Hill in 10 to 15 minutes, but I do want to cover kind of the blueprint I think that Paul gives us on how to kind of approach it in our own lives. So let's pick up in 16. Now, while Paul waited for them, Silas and Timothy, at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Let's go ahead and stop there. What I want to think about right there is, I ask myself, do I get provoked when I see idolatry? And as Christians, do we get provoked when we see idolatry here? You see, he came to Athens, and as we all know, like tons of philosophers, we all know from history, temples, tons of different deities are being worshipped there. And so Paul comes upon this, and he just sees idolatry, and he his spirit is provoked. And the King James has stirred, basically, was that. You see, but I think the problem here as Christians, with us, we see so much stuff going around, it doesn't bug us anymore. We're kind of numb to it because we watch it on TV. We listen to it on the radio or music. So idolatry doesn't really bug us anymore. Our spirit's not provoked anymore. But you see here with Paul, his spirit gets provoked. He is angered. And there's a time for that. There is a time for righteous anger. There really is. And we see it here. Paul gets that. He's stirred when he sees what's going on. But I'm not going to start off and say, like, okay, now it's time to go Rambo on everybody and start killing, start tossing down statues and stuff like that. But thank you, Jose. But let's check out what he does do in 17. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Did you hear that? He reasoned. The King James, I believe it says disputed is the word there. He went down, he reasoned with these people daily. So he gets provoked. He doesn't go down there and start condemning people, start casting woes. He goes down there, he reasons with these people, hangs out with them, interacts with them. We went back to North Carolina back in November. We heard Josh McDowell, one of the leading apologists of our day. Great mind. And you know what he talks about the whole time? To a room filled of believers want to hear some cool facts? He talks about relationships. He talks about relationships building relationships with people and that's how they that's how they come to know the Lord and we see Paul doing that exact thing here he reasoned with the people daily who would want to talk to him he talked to the religious people in the temples and he was out in the marketplace talking to the Gentiles and to the philosophers he meets these geniuses out there but he is not intimidated why? because his spirit is provoked and he's moving in the spirit let's keep going then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers accounted him and some said what does this babbler have to say? I love that they call the Apostle Paul a babbler. Hello? If they would have read this, do you think they would be calling him a babbler now? And that's the only time we see babbler used in the Testament. I love it. A man of the law, a man who spent three years with Christ. In the desert, they call him a babbler. I love it. It's hilarious. And see, that's what's going to happen sometimes, though. You're going to step out. You're going to be making a big move for Christ. You might be intimidated. You're going to step out and talk to some people. They're going to turn you away. They're going to call you a babbler. But check out what the others do. Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Did you hear that? Jesus and the resurrection. He dropped the grace bomb. He brings it every time he talked about Jesus. And we got to do that. You see, he he met the need here with these people. 
earlier with the Bereans and the, the Thessalonians, they were aware of the Scriptures. They reasoned through the Scriptures, basically, that whole time. Now he's here with them. He understands that their philosophers are looking for some kind of deity. So he meets him at that level. And he preaches them Jesus and the resurrection. Man, we have got to drop the grace bomb when we hang out with people, when we talk to people. It's that simple. And look what it happens. Look what happens when he mentions it. It says, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. They were intrigued. See, some turned away. Some were intrigued. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And I guarantee you that the same thing's going to happen when we hang out with other people and we talk to them. Like I know myself, though, sometimes we don't want to bring up the gospel, though. We don't want to talk about Christ has done for us. We just want to hang out. You know, they start going off on some weird stuff. And then we, by the end of the conversation, no Jesus, no resurrection, no gospel. None. We missed our opportunity. You see here, though, he brings it. He talked Jesus and the resurrection, and they were intrigued. Because that's what happened. In Athens, everything was new. They were going around. They wanted to know what was happening. So these people, they give him a chance. He gives a chance to go up to Mars Hill and preach to the judges up there. We're talking like high elite families in Athens. He gets to go up there. And in verse 22, he says, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things that you are very religious. For as I was passing by, he saw a sign on the statue. It said, To the unknown God. Paul walks out, what? The unknown God? Lord, do you see this? The unknown God? Are you kidding me? Here are the Athenians, smart philosophers, sitting on top of everything they've had. They've learned so much. They're in Athens. They've got a beautiful place to see. And they're wor- to the unknown God. We don't know who to worship. We don't know where this all goes. You see, they had no meaning. With an unknown God, you have an unknown purpose. You have an unknown meaning. If there's no God, why are we here? If this is all by chance, why are we here? So Paul sees that. He knows where to meet these people. He understands on what ground does he begin to converse with them. So he starts talking about God. He shares with them the gospel to all these people. I love it. I love it. And verse 31 is where the core of his argument goes. I mean, it's a great sermon. I encourage you all to read it. But in verse 31 is where we kind of see the core. He says, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And in verse 32, he has given assurance to all this by raising him from the dead. Again, he brings the resurrection back to it. That was the core of his argument. You see, Confucius, Zoroaster, Buddha, Mohammed, Adi Krishna, Joseph Smith, Charles Russell, they all have one thing in common. They're all dead. All the leading religious people, all the great philosophers, they're all dead. Not one of us made it back. Yet Christ is alive. Our God walked out of the tomb immortal. What argument can stand against that, really? What philosopher can argue with that? God walked out of the tomb. He walked out of the tomb. Can you imagine the sound of heaven when they saw God walk out of the tomb, toss that rock to the side, and then Jesus walks out? What the heck? Who can stand against that, really? Who can stand against that argument? Nobody makes that claim. Nobody makes that claim. You see, it starts with us right here being provoked about what we see. Going down, reasoning with the people who we got to get to. It's that simple. He didn't go out and pick arguments. He argued and he witnessed for Christ. That is all you have to do. But you see, we have intimidating places. I mean... Athens, come on now. There's some smart people. I go to a university. There's some really smart people. Sometimes I don't want to talk to them. You got people in high school might be whizzes. You got people in workplace might be pretty smart. May not want to hit them up. Talk to them. Bring them the gospel. Bring them the gospel. Really, who can argue with this? Who can argue with this? It's a great passage for us to look at. That's about all I got. Thank you. Amen. 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 We've got to be provoked. That's, man, we've got to be. You know, we really have become stale to this culture. Nothing is, uh, I remember when I came back from Mexico, it's like everything. I wanted to condemn everything. Like I was just ready to just call out everything. 
I mean, my ears were so sheltered, you know, I mean, it was like, it was just crazy, so my eyes, I just couldn't believe it, like these fancy lights, you know, like I just, small things like that, like, well, just seeing cars, period, you know, there's like no cars out there, not where we were at, but I think that we can only become and only get to that place when we're continually in the presence of God. When we are in the presence of God, we are sensing His Spirit, we are knowing His heart, and we are seeing Him face to face. And what happens? That's when our heart is changed. And that's when we watch TV and say, you know what, I can't even watch this. To be honest, man, I don't even know how... I really haven't watched a television show. I can't remember the last one I watched. But just sometimes when I've kind of... You know, I'm walking through and I see things there on the television when it's on it's just like man I just cannot believe how much worse it's getting it just keeps getting worse and worse but see you can't allow your heart you can't allow yourself to move with the culture you've got to stand firm and you got to find a way I believe it's by being in the presence of the Lord continually that's what I experienced when we were out there in the desert, I felt we were in this bubble of Jesus, man, all day, every day. I come back here, no bubble, no bubble. It's like I'm just walking around like, what is that, you know? Oh my gosh, you know? When, uh, here's a great illustration, you know, Muslims, when they come, the cultures that the, these, these nations that are, you know, Buddhist, uh, some, a small percentage of, that are Buddhist, but, the majority that are Muslim, you know, and these women dress from, from covered from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, completely covered. When a man lives in that, if you live in that for six months, you come back to America, you probably think people are walking around naked, to tell you the truth. Because you're put in a, a state, you just like, you never see skin, you just don't see anything, ever. And then all of a sudden you come here, and you're up at Martin Luther King High School just driving by, and there's that little 14-year-old girl trying to walk in her little mini skirt and her high heels. Like, what are you doing? It's like, whoa, you know, my eyes. You know, like, I didn't even know people walk around like that. See, you can't even understand, you can't even begin to start to filter things through your eyes if you're not spending time with God okay you must be in the presence of God continually throughout your day there must be time I, I felt so convicted during worship today just because I f- I'll be honest with you I just feel like I haven't had a quiet session with God in, in, in about a week like real quiet like where I just get to sit down and just block out everything it's just been crazy man I feel like every, all day every day I was real bummed because I didn't even get any quiet time before I came here I'm standing up here. I feel like running on fumes. Just crying out to God in the bathroom like, please just give me something. I know the text, but I just need your spirit. And we cannot see clearly. We will not see clearly. We will not have hearts of conviction. We can't unless we're in the presence of the Lord. Today I was meeting with a pastor down in West Grove, Long Beach. And he was telling telling me about this kid that he ran into out in Australia. No, I'm sorry, they were in Romania. And one of his kids were witnessing to this other kid, this kind of punk rocker kid. And he's just being a jerk to him. Just being a jerk, just like telling him off. and just I mean, just being a jerk. And so the pastor walked up and said, Hey, you know, you're being a punk. Told him that. You're being a punk. This kid right here paid money to come all the way around the world to Romania to come and tell you about the love of Jesus Christ, and you're being a jerk to him. He's like, you're not talking to him anymore. He walked away. The pastor told me that it wasn't a year later until they went back, and that punk rocker kid found 
this kid John that he was telling off. He said, "Oh, I just want. Where is he?" He's like, "Who?" Pastor John, I got to talk to him. Where is he? He's like, well, "What do you need to talk about?" I just, I just need to talk to Pastor John. And so he's like, "He'll be here tomorrow night." And so he came and he found him. And he said, "I've been thinking about it all year." What you told me about Jesus and his love and I was being a jerk and he shared the gospel with him right there and the boy came to Christ and I was thinking you know what that takes some boldness to stand up and call somebody out and proclaim the truth but when you do God will do radical things it takes someone who is willing got to stand up No more messing around. Family, we don't have time to be messing around anymore. I really do. I get real straightforward a lot of times with high school kids. It's like, dude, uh uh-uh. And I think, I kind of feel almost as I grow older and I see it in the older men around me, they, they, they have great tact, but they cut straight to the heart, man. They don't beat around the bush. They're just like, dude, uh uh-uh. Bam, right now, gospel. This is what's going on. You need to stop that. Why? Because they care. And we got to do this. This is a great word from Fredo. I'm telling you that nothing is going to happen here. Me and Jay, we were, a bunch of guys were over at Disneyland last night. We were cruising back on the car. And we were talking about just a lot of the greats from old who really did things like turn their entire city upside down, turn their entire state upside down, just crazy stuff went down. And I'm like sitting there and I was like, Jay, I don't even know where to start, man. Because a lot of times I feel like I'm the only guy. A lot of times I feel like there's just a small handful of us who want to do something. It's like, where do we even begin? And you know where it begins? The Lord spoke. It begins in prayer. I'm telling you. You want to know why the church isn't fired up? Because they do not pray. You want to know why we do not see idolatry? Because we don't spend time with God. We are not in the presence of the Father. That's it. Plain and simple. I can say the reason if any of you are fired up, it is because you've spent time with God. Plain and simple. And if you are not, it is because you haven't. You have not sensed His presence. You want to know why you don't have peace right now? It's because you have not got into His presence. Can a man sit in the presence of God and not have peace? Can a man sit in the presence of God and not be at rest? When you sit at His feet and the presence of God comes around you, You know those moments that I'm talking about? It's like you go to see God and you're sitting there and maybe you're seeking Him for like 30 minutes. You don't feel anything. You don't sense anything. Then all of a sudden it's just like, bam, the rain just falls. And all of a sudden it's just you sense the Father close and near and peace and rest comes over your life. That's what it takes. And that's who we must be. And I'm really, I'm telling you, I'm really sad for our country and for this nation and for even this city. Because I really don't know if people are even willing. Do they really want to change? And do they really want God? And do they really want... I don't know. I don't even know if the church desires it. It doesn't seem like it. Christians are all the same, man. There are a few. There are a few the desire to stand up. But we got to change. i got something else to share. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist. 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 You know, we got so many excuses as Christians. Me too. I look at the sin of my life and I look at the different things that go on and I wonder why. 
Like I always got a good reason, or I always got a semi-good reason, or I always got something to kind of lean on. But the truth is the word resist is so powerful. Why? Listen. The word resist, this is why. God is telling a person to resist from what? Whatever it may be that you're struggling with. Resist from what? Resist, the word resist gives almost an ultimatum. It's like you have to, it must happen. It's either or, it's A or B. It's not anything in between. And so when sin comes to you, resist. That's it. When you don't feel like reading the Bible and your flesh is coming up, resist. We don't feel like spending time with God, resist. Get away from that. It's simple. There are certain people who will resist and certain who won't. And that's it. That's the ball game. That's it. It's that simple. And I've been recognizing that more and more in my life. That it is. this is a simple game. It really is. It's a simple life. Just simply doing what the Lord asks you to do. Do it. That's it. Resist. And He will flee. Those things will flee from your life. But if we do not choose to resist, like, let's check it out. Let's, let's get practical for, we'll say tonight, the Father taps on your heart. Come spend time with me. I'm tired. And you have good reason to be tired, don't you? Because you worked a long day. Because you were busy doing this and this and this. Well, there you go. You choose A or B. It's that simple. Sin comes to knock at the door. No, you shouldn't do that. Resist or don't. There you go. Why is this so powerful? Why is this such a... Why why am I spending time in this? Because this is why. If we could simply understand everyone in this room how much rides on the fact of the decisions that you make, how much rides on the decisions each day, each and every little decision that you make, what that does to your life. It's like this, when you make bad decisions, even small ones, the crack in your life just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the great decisions you make, it will get smaller and smaller. Resist and He will flee. The more you resist, the more things will flee. That crack will close. If you don't, and we cannot see change until the church resists. Do you understand? We cannot see change until the church decides to be different and just say, I'm going to do what needs to be done. I was telling Jay yesterday, I'm like, yeah, it'd be cool. We, we, we speak about the Puritans or some of these guys who have completely wiped out uh, homeless and welfare and all this. Completely wiped it out. But I said, Jay, who's willing in the church to do that? Who? Who's willing to take care of even one homeless person? Do you know the duty that takes? Who's willing to bring them into their home? Who's willing to pay for something, an amount of money to build a place to keep them in and to take care of them and nurture them every single day? Who's willing? Who's willing? Nobody is willing. Nobody. And that's what I'm saying. That's a large scale. But on the small scale, it seems like very few are willing just to be diligent unto God. Do you understand? Very few. And it's a sad day. And that is where the church is at today. And so it is not until, man, it is not until every single one of us wake up and say, you know what? I'm ready and willing to be completely diligent and faithful unto God. And I will resist. There will be no excuse. There will be no good reason And if I fail, I will run to the feet of Jesus immediately and keep running with Him. Never slow down. Do you understand? The shepherd's heart grows weary because I wonder, this is great. This is good. This is awesome. We have a Bible study coffee shop. This is great. But I wonder when something will happen. I believe that your lives are being changed little by little. Yes, I know. But I'm wondering when the light bulb clicks on for you and vision comes into your own life individually and you rise up and do something. 
and you rise up and make a stand. And you stop letting people make the stand for you all the days of your life. What are you to be doing and why aren't you doing it? There's so many Christians, I just, these conversations run through my head that I have with people time and time again. We'll do this. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to do that. But it never happens. Why? It's that resist factor. It's because nobody can make the firm decision to do something. Our text is kind of based on that tonight. In First Chronicles 23, we see we see David. Man, I ooh, woo. I need to ask the Father to bless this. Okay, please, Lord. Um, I need wisdom, Father. Speak to your people. Ready our hearts to receive from you. In your name, Amen. Look at this, First Chronicles 23, verse 1. Look at this. So when David was old and full of days, he made Solomon his son king over Israel. Did you see that? So, David is old and he makes Solomon king. He made Solomon king. He says, you are king. You are the king. You're going to be the king to reign over. He didn't ask Solomon, hey Solomon, so uh, want to be king, son? You are king. This is your duty. This is what you are to do. You are king, and this is what you are to do. This is your rule. This is your duty. Now watch this. Verse 2, And he gathered together, who? David, all the princes of Israel with the priests and the Levites. Now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and upward, and their number by their poles and by man. And man by man was 38,000. Of which 24,000 were to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Stop there. Look what David starts to do. Okay, number one, what's the first thing he did? He made his son king. You, Solomon, will be king. Not, hey, Solomon, you want to be king? No, you will be king. Then what does he do? He starts to number the Levites. He starts to number the Levites. and he sa- These are who? The servants of God. He starts to number them and says, 38,000 is what he counted. And he says, 24,000 were to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Did you see that? He delegated. He said, hey, you, 24,000 over there, you guys will work as service unto the Lord in the house. Bam. Did he ask them, hey, do you want to be involved in this? Hey, do do you want to get involved in serving in the house of the Lord? No. He delegated. He said, you will do this and you will do this. This is what you are to do. Look what the next thing. He says, and 6,000 were officers and judges. He says, you 6,000 will be what? Officers and judges. This is your role. This is what you are to do. Moreover, verse 5, 4,000 were porters, and 4,000 praise the Lord with the instruments which I made, said David, to praise therewith. Porters are gatekeepers. 4,000 were told. 4,000 men. 4,000 men told. Does it say that in your Bible? A gatekeeper? 4,000 were told to be a gatekeeper. Hey, you. You guys, 4,000. Go watch that gate. Go stand in that door. What? So, King David, what do I get to do? You're a porter. You're a gate watcher. Watch that gate. What am I getting at? I think the church has become so comfortable. We are so scared to tell the church that it is your duty to provide and give. Like if I were to say to every single one of you, 10% of your money that you make belongs to God, period. 10% of it, you must give this. This is mandatory and this is that's the minimum. I hope that you'd give 15 or up to 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%. But 10%, every single person in this room has to give that. <gasps> Josh, you, you might offend someone. Sounds like you're asking for money. I don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. This is the way God chooses to supply for His church. Plain and simple. 
The church is scared to say those kind of things. Why? Because there have been some who have abused it, hasn't there, on TV? They take advantage of people. They work people for their money. It's ridiculous. But we are scared to now ask people, no, not ask, delegate, and tell the church to do things. I've told the story before, and I'll tell it again. I remember in Arizona, my buddy Danny Larsh, the church he was going to, the pastor stood up there on the pulpit and said, Hey, family, we're going to be building this project, and it's going to be $16 million. And um, he says, This is what I want everyone to everyone, everyone to do. All of you are to go home and pray and ask the Lord how much you are to give. Some you of you will give $5, and some of you will give $5 million. You are to go home and ask what you are to give, and you are to find out what properties you are to sell, and you are to find out what you are to cash in, because this guess what? We have a tabernacle that needs to be built, and it will be built. Just like Moses, back in that day, when the tabernacle was built, he said, People, this is what we need. This is what you are to give. Now give what you have. This is the way the Lord is choosing to provide for it. Now people get offended by that. But that's the problem with the church, is that we always think that we should be kind of asked to do things. And, and hey, But the truth is, is we are commanded to do things because we are followers of Christ. Because He is our King. Is He not Master? Does a master have to ask his slave to do something? Hey, um, you know, it'd be really nice if, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hurt your feelings or anything. You know, it'd be really nice if you sweep the floor in here. No, sweep the floor. And we've gotten to a stage where we are so comfortable that we cannot take the heaviness of a man standing up on a pulpit and saying, "Hey." We have a need. Church, provide, please. What if a pastor stood up and just started delegating, you will be doing this? I'm not going to do that. Huh? That's not my gift. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a gatekeeper. I can't even imagine if one of the soldiers... Or one of the Levites, King David stands up and says, You will be a gatekeeper. 4,000 of you, all of you guys. Huh? And one said, I'm not going to be a gatekeeper. Oh, stone him. <laughs> but, but truly, do you see the authority that is given there? Do you see the will to submit? Do you see the the fact that these guys are told to do something and they just simply do it. Now, of course, Israel and the Levites, they are not perfect. I'm sure there's all kinds of little things in there that went on. Yes. Needed to be disputed and figured out. But what I'm telling you is, is I almost feel like I need to do that. I almost feel like I need to come up to every single one of the sheep and say, what are you to be doing? Let's talk about it. Okay, now when are you going to start doing it? Well, kind of when this gets in order. No, no. Like, when? Like, tomorrow? What time? It's like we need to be babied, all of us. We need to be brought to a point where, hey, somebody convinces us and almost twists our arm to mark it down on the calendar. Or to say, I'm going to be faithful to read every single day at this time. Not trying to get into legalism. Absolutely not. But a place where the church wakes up and recognizes it is the duty. It is a duty and a privilege to serve in the house of God. And we have many things that need to be taken care of. And hey, guess what? Until we start to move, nothing will be taken care of. That's why I almost feel like I just need to delegate and say, you guys are gatekeepers. You guys are doing this. You guys are doing this. You know the opposition that would come? in a church of today if that happened. And isn't that lame? Why is it like that? If there's a need, why isn't it taken care of? Why can't a, why can't a pastor or the leader of a church, why can't he stand up and just delegate and say, this is what we need, and everybody just says, yeah, amen to that? Why isn't that the mentality? That is where we are at in America today. That's where it's at. 
And do you understand? It is not until you figure out what you're doing and what you're supposed to be doing that things will change. I'm just being brutally honest. Nothing will change here in Riverside. Nothing. Your surroundings will change slowly as you seek the face of God. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so happy that God works with whatever we give Him. But man, I'd like to give Him a lot more. Does He not deserve it? Has He not been the greatest King to ever walk this earth? Has He not been so gracious to you? And merciful to you? Has He not blessed you? And given you a wonderful life? Has He not given you peace and rest? In hard times? We've got to change. We've got to turn. And David goes on to delegate throughout the rest of this chapter. That's basically it. He just tells the people what they're supposed to be doing. And they do it. You know, some people were appointed to sing praises morning and night. That's what they do. They just sing thanksgiving and praises unto God. What if I just said, you guys over here, you're going to sing morning to night praises. Get busy. Let's praise God. Morning and night? Yep. I just think of all the crazy excuses that fled into my head. I remember when I was with John in the desert, he had spoke about... Well, check this out. Do you ever see in the book of Acts, who, who is paid and taken care, care of in the, in the church? Who is it that is actually paid? And ta- you see the shepherd, right? That's who you mainly see really being taken care of there. Maybe some of the elders there. But you really don't see all these cre- like employees of every different kind and all this different stuff. And uh, I remember John stating like it would be great if the uh, the maintenance for the church was taken care of, like whatever needs to be taken care of, just the cleaning and all the maintenance stuff and mowing the lawn and whatever it takes. But it's like, can you imagine if, if, if a pastor stood up in church and says, hey, we have maintenance needs, uh, who... Who can who can take care of uh, the grass and and pull the weeds there and, and you know make the place look nice and, and vacuum and 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 dust around and, and really just take care of the the church so that when the people come they have a nice place to who, who can just volunteer uh, you know their time or what if now let's let's not ask let's just say hey uh, you're going to do maintenance okay that's your thing and you know this group over here all of you that's what you're going to do you're going to do maintenance it's like the heart sinks it's like no not me. Oh man, why, why didn't I get the, the 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 praising and thanking God, you know, day and night? That's a job I wanted. But you got to understand that I believe God has delegated things to every single one of us, and we are a bunch of whiner babies. We got all these things, and we're too busy. And I'm telling you that time is flying by. Like I look at my life. People say, Josh, you know, you've been a lot of places and done a lot of things. And you know what? I don't feel that way. I feel like I've wasted a lot of time. A lot of time. Me and Jay have these conversations. Jay, man, we're losing time. When will something change? When will a difference be made? Will I look back on my life and just see like, like I walked with God, but man, I got some regret. I wish I would have done this. we got to make decisions. And I ask you this question tonight. What are you supposed to be doing throughout the week? What is it? Do I have to? Do I need to sit down with you? And Do we need to talk? And do I need to just delegate? And you, this is what you need to do? Do I have to tell you? And be a daddy? Come on. Let the Father... Delegate into your life what you are to be doing. Seek His face and say, Father, what am I doing? I Look at my day. What do I do? This is what I do. Maybe some things need to change real fast. I know this isn't the happiest message you've ever heard. <laughs> I know this isn't something easy to swallow. It's like, Josh, why are you beating us? I really am at a desert point, I think. 
where I even wonder about this study on Tuesday nights, to tell you the truth. Because I ask myself, like, Josh, what will you do? Will you just continue teaching Tuesday nights for how long? Another year? Two years? Three years? Four years? And what will happen? Will you just teach faithfully every week and just keep doing the same thing you've been doing for the last four years? What has the study done? People's lives are changed. Yes, absolutely. What kind of impact have we made on this city? What kind of things have we done and accomplished? What is happening? What is what is going on? I just don't want to be the same, family. I just don't want to be the same like every other place. We just come together. We open the Word. We, we I teach. And you walk away with something. And it lasts for like a day. And then it's like, yeah, back to my thing. I'm busy. i got stuff to do. I know that lives have been changed here. I know that. And I, I mean, I praise the Father. I can't even believe you guys are here to tell you the truth. Every week, I can't believe it. I know who I am. And I praise God that He just uses me. Man. But what I'm trying to get at is when will we, every single one of you, Every single one of you choose to be that person that you desire to be. We were listening to Ravi the other day, Ravi Zacharias. Man, this fool is elite. And Jay was just like, what if we had like 12 or like 20 Ravis? And I'm just like going nuts, like 12 or 30 Ravis, man. I mean, like, the whole world would be changed, you know? But what if we just had... Whoever it is you look to and whoever it is you respect, what if we just had 15 of those, 20 of those, standing up every day? You are that person. And nothing will change until you make the decision. Nothing will happen until we move together. Please, I beg and plead with you to figure out what it is you are to be doing. I won't do it. I almost did it. I almost just going to start asking every single person in here, what are you to be doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you to be doing? And as we go around the room and we hear these cliche-ish things time and time again, no vision, no direction, no change, doing the same thing I've been doing There's got to be change. I won't put you on the spot. But I hope that at least something would happen within us and we say, you know what? I know my vision. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know where I'm at. And I'm going to do it full blast and no one is going to stop me. And if you do that, you watch what will happen within your life. We cannot stand in this uneasy place, uneasy territory for the rest of our lives, okay? How long have you been standing there? How long have you just been coming and eating and eating and eating? Jay said it well. The way to label the Church of America today is we are obese spiritually. We're just sitting here, just taking it in. Every week, every week, every week, multiple times a week, and we do nothing. You know, I have seen some change and I've seen some great things go down. I've seen some amazing stuff. But I'm really looking, when I look at a church like Francis Chan, who when he says we're going to Mexico, he has 800 sign-ups and he can only take 100 people or something. 
When there is a need, like, hey, we need to provide for this, and the money floods in like you've never seen. And they just don't, I mean, they just give. They just give money away. Then when a building project comes, taking care of them. When he says, family, need to do this, everybody stands up and says, I will do it. Everybody. We got to get out of that place, okay? We got to get out of that place where we keep saying somebody else will do it. Somebody else will take care of it. Somebody else, no. David says, gatekeeper, I want to do it. David says, sink print, I want to do it. I want to do it. I'm ready to serve anywhere, any place, any time. We cannot be picky anymore because the pickiness causes you to sit still for a long period of time. You're waiting for that sweet opportunity, that, that the one thing that you desire. I wrote that in the devotional today. You want $5 million. God's not going to give it to you because you're not diligent with the $5 He's given you. You want the $5 million opportunity, but you are not diligent in the $5 opportunity you have right now. I would hope that I could be able to look into every single one of your lives and say, man, solid. No messing around. They take care of business. You can depend on, you can trust. They're going to deliver. They walk in the Spirit. They live for God. Everybody's got problems. Yeah, you could look into my life and find things. But I remember when me and Jeremy used to sit there day and night when we were in the high school ministry we were leaders looking into the high school kids saying, who is the next people? Who will rise up and do anything that we do? Not boasting on ourselves, but I felt like we were the only guys teaching. Like, when will somebody else start a Bible study? When will somebody else stand up and make a difference? When will somebody be radical for Christ? Why is there always only like one prophet in the entire nation who stands up? Why can we all not stand up and just be who God wants you to be right now? If you are called to pray for people, then get praying. Pray for every person you come in contact with. I'm not saying the tasks have to be huge. If you're a gatekeeper, then start watching a gate. So that when I ask you, what is your vision? What are you to be doing? How are you to be busy right now? You say, well, this is what I'm doing. This is my vision. This is what I am going to do for this amount of time until God gives me different direction. But you're faithfully committed. Robert really exhorted me in that. Josh, are you going to work insurance the rest of your life? Are you going to build a company? Um, you know, that's not my passion. He even told me that. He's like, your passion is ministry. Hello. But I'm like, well, I don't want to get really dedicated. You know, I was scared to go on staff at Harvest. Scared. To get back in the mix and kind of be like locked down and back in that, that zone. But he said, when are you going to get that? When, when are you going to get dedicated to something? It may not be your cup of tea and everything that you desire. But get dedicated already. Stop wasting time. And it is the truth. I believe that every single one of us should be dedicated to something. And dedicated to serving and pouring out. If you are taking in, which you are. If you are eating... You must be moving. Okay? We're going to go before the Lord right now. And I just want us to open our hearts unto Him and say, Father, what am I to be doing continually? Faithful to, diligent to. Or it's, no, it's not iffy. It's like I know what I'm to be doing and I'm going to start doing it. Please don't give me the cliches. I need to be reading my Bible and praying. That is mandatory for every single Christian. Going to church and sharing Jesus. That is mandatory for every person. I'm talking about being a gatekeeper. I'm talking about being use of God. You know what I have to do? My duty? Even if I don't feel like it? I have to teach the Word at the study every week. And I will teach this Friday night. These are things I have to be consistent in. And I'm telling you, after I'm done teaching, I'm empty, man. I need a feeling so bad. I'm so tired. Worn out. 
But see, Josh has been doing this for a long time. Things need to change. I need to be moving forward in other things. I cannot stay cliche and stay same old. I got to be moving forward in my vision and my walk with God. Do you understand? I want you guys to get this. I want you guys to have vision. I want you guys to make a difference. And so let's cry out to God. Let's ask Him to speak to us and to give us direction so that we understand what we already be doing. Please. Okay? Father. Oh, Lord. I really do feel that sometimes, King. just been doing same old for a long time and Lord I do I see steady change and little things here and there but this is easy this is what I do every week Lord Father I would ask for vision that we would continually be moving forward and breaking through to the next thing that you desire that we would not get caught up in the law but we would be walking in the spirit where you speak to us every day and there is new direction and new vision and there are things that we are dedicated to and serving and when an opportunity comes Lord we take it there are many here Father in this room who are doing nothing who do not know where they need to be serving and what they need to be doing And I just ask, please, King, that you would rain down, that right now as the people open their hearts willingly, we would ask, Father, that you would speak to us right now. Show us what we are to be doing. Delegate into our lives. Show us. Please. Can you, family, just sit and just receive from God? Just sit and let Him speak quietly into your life. The still small voice. Maybe a vision. Maybe you're seeing something in the back end of your eyes, in your mind. Just let God delegate right now into your life. Just ask Him, say, Lord, show me what I need to be doing right now. One thing I need to be dedicated and faithful to and willing to do anything for that thing open creating opportunity having vision and moving forward speak to us please seal these little things these small visions and great visions that you put in our hearts and please help your people to pull through God as you have delegated unto us may we be faithful to be gatekeepers faithful to that ministry faithful to be serving and asking and showing us what needs to be done that we can do it. We need your help, Father. We can't do this without you. So please, touch your people tonight in a special way. We pray these things in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. Without vision, my people perish. God says, Listen, listen guys. Do you understand how you could even be involved in a ministry and just watch things kind of just go by? You can be involved in all kinds of different things 
and see things that need to be done but never grab it by the reins and just go for it. There needs to be a place of breakthrough in everywhere that you're at where you're breaking through the norm. Okay? Where you're looking like something as simple as being involved in, I don't know, um, if the prayer meeting is what you lead or something you're involved in and something you're committed to, you would hope that the thing would not stay at 20 minutes for 10 years. You hope that the appetite of the people would grow and that they would desire to be in prayer for, hey, now 30 minutes, 35, and then 40 minutes, an hour. And they would be growing, and then you'd be praying for that, and then you'd be looking for that, trying to create opportunity, having vision. Do you understand the difference between somebody who is told to do something and then somebody who takes care of everything else on top of what they're told to be done? It's like if it's like, uh, hey, Deej, can you uh, clean the counter for me? Not only does he clean the counter, but he's thinking polishes this thing and makes sure every single thing there is filled up, all the sugar, the napkins are taken care of, like a vision. They just see into this. They make something happen. And what has happened in this church and what has happened in America is, say, a lot of people are willing to serve and do things but they do not have a passion that burns in them deep where they will go to the furthest extent to make things happen and to see God move. It's like, I'm going to be a gatekeeper? Oh, oh. I'm going to be watching gates like you've never seen. Okay. I'm going to have a guy posted on that pole, on that pole, on that pole, on that pole. We're going to be watching this gate so well. Anybody walks through there, you know what? We're going to greet him. You know, every single person gets a handshake and a hello. I walked into a church the other day. The pastor, the senior pastor, first thing he says to me, Hi, Josh, my name's Roger. Jesus loves you. Every time. That's what they say when you call the church. Hi, this is Susie. Thanks for calling Open Door. Jesus loves you. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Thanks. I needed that. But just going a little further, having vision for what you're doing, Having vision and direction for whatever ministry you're involved in. If you don't have vision for the ministry you're involved in, get out. What are you doing there? You're wasting your time. You're just doing the same thing every week. You understand? Got to have vision. Without vision, my people perish. And a pastor who has no vision, his church will fall. He'll become old and weary. And the same thing with anything that you run or anything that you're involved in or anything that you're doing. If you do not have vision, it will perish. We've got to be breaking through. You understand? I'm so sorry that these uh, these words tonight are very kind of hard to listen to. But I just care about you guys a lot. I really do. I really love this family. And I really do want the best for us. I feel like I just got to say these things. Whether all of you receive it or not, if there were just some, if there's just, man, just five. What if we had 15? Just 15 who really got it, who really became visionaries, who really became people who break through the mold. It's worth it. We've got to be different. Can we be different? Hey, whatever church you go to, when you walk in those doors, see if you're the same guy as the person next to you. If you are, you better change. Don't be a Christian like everybody else. Get away from that. Be different. When will you be a leader? Do I need to come up to you and say you're a leader? Stand up. Do whatever you desire. A leader doesn't have to have a dynamic voice. Raise his fists in the air. They just got to set an example. 
That's it. Let's be those people. Amen. Love you guys. Let me pray a blessing over you now. Oh, Father, I pray for your people. And just want to ask, God, that you would bless them. And that, Father, we would stir with passion. That we would truly begin to love and be changed like no one has ever seen. Please, Father, give your people direction in such a way that if I do ask, that they would say, this is my vision, this is my direction, this is how I'm breaking through, this is what I'd like to see. And I'm moving forward in that. Please, would you bless them in that way? Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.